we will turn to the Word this morning. We're going to start, as you know, we're starting into Advent, and so this Advent season always gives us an opportunity to focus in for, for four weeks on some key things and some key ways of, of living at this time of year. And typically, we're going to come back every single year in some way to talk about those themes we just heard, hope, love, joy, peace. Those are really at the heart of what it is that the coming, the advent of the Son of God has brought into this world and into the lives of his people who he came to save and change by his power. But the reality of living in this world, despite this being the theme of this time of year, the reality is this time can be a very, very stressful time of year. It can be very, very busy. It can be filled with a lot of pressure and a lot of obligations, and if we're honest, a lot of disappointments and hurt feelings too. Pastor Matt Chandler once wrote, this is the season of massive shop till you drop, make sure everyone is totally happy, gift buying, food gorging, panic attacks. Amen. (laughs) It is, right? For some of us, that's what this season is. You get to December or, or November or however early you're starting to get into it and you're just feeling the stress and the weight of everything you know that is supposed to be a part of this time of year. But in contrast to that cultural reality, the season of Advent in a historically Christian sense is actually meant to be a time of reflection, a time of worship, a time of spiritual growth, and dare we say it, a time of rest. That's what we want to focus on this year, are these themes, these things that God brings into the life of his people who truly understand and use this season of Advent the way he has intended Every year in in my home, we try and leverage this time of the year to really be helpful to our families, specifically to be helpful to our spiritual lives. And over the next four weeks as a church, as we walk through this season of Advent, that's going to be our focus too, that we would have what I hope we will come to see by the end of it is a helpful holiday rather than just another thing that we do, rather than just a tradition we continue, rather than just obligations we try and fulfill. My hope is that maybe together through this season as a whole church body, we would begin to push back both culturally and against the merely traditional habits that actually can cloud up this time of year. And instead, we would find this to be a clear, sweet, helpful time as we approach the end of this calendar year and go on to the next. So our text this morning, if you have your Bible with you, is going to be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there, and then we'll, we'll have another primary text that we'll go over to in the book of Deuteronomy as well. But our first theme and our first message in this series uh, called A Helpful Holiday is reflection. Reflection. This is what we're going to talk about today from Luke chapter 1. Now, if you've uh, listened to me for a while, you know that I like this word and this concept of reflection quite a bit. I do a lot of reflection personally in my own life. I look at and I learn from the past, and, and I'm a big advocate of other people doing that as well. It's part of why for the last five weeks, right, we seized this opportunity to look back upon the life and the events of a, of a man who lived 500 years ago on the other side of the world because I really believe that as we reflect on those times, those events, how the scripture impacted those lives, we can be challenged and personally grow and change in our life here today too. We can benefit from this reflection upon the past because the same God who worked in the past is the same God who's at work today right? At the most basic level, the reality of the Christian life is that every Christian is called to live a life of reflection. 
In fact, that's what Advent demonstrates for us very explicitly, doesn't it? The whole season of Advent, all the Christmas celebrations that we do, are focused upon events that took place in the past. We have to reflect upon this fulfillment of promises that were given for generation after generation after generation. We have to reflect upon how God the Son entered into this world to bring salvation and deliverance to his people. All these things took place in a historical context years and years and years ago on another side of the world, and you and I only benefit from it if we reflect upon these things. So, let's think about reflection a little bit today from Luke chapter 1, where you turned a moment ago. We're starting into the text after the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary, and he's spoken those words that we opened the service with this morning. And looking at verse 46, we're going to start to see how Mary celebrates what God is doing in her in that moment by looking back to history, by the light of reflection upon what God has done in the past, and how this can give us, I think, a beautiful model for this Advent season that we are entering into here and now, too. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is a a beautiful text. It's a unique and genuine outpouring of worship from the heart of Mary, from what she's feeling and what she's understanding at this unique moment that she lives in in history. But the depth and the beauty of this text lie in the fact that Mary has been raised to know and understand the actions of God in the past and how that brings meaning to her moment that she lives in. She's looking through all of this in light of the reflection of who God is, what God has said, and all the things that God has done that she knows deep within her own heart. See, one of the key things about Israel, the plan that God had for ancient Israel as he formed them into a distinct, unique people, was that he wanted his people to pass on his words from promises to commands and memory of his actions, things big and small, From generation to generation, this was God's intention for the people. As he set them apart, as he gave them commands, he said, this is primary for you. You need to know who I am personally, and you need to pass that on to the generations that come behind you. He makes this clear in that great text of Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can flip to Deuteronomy chapter 6, or at least make a note to come back and read through Deuteronomy chapter 6, because it's going to give you a framework for what it is we're attempting to do in this whole Advent season. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we start in verse 4, we read the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your 
heart. But now listen, because verse 7 gives us this framework and this, this path forward that applies so profoundly to us. Verse 7 says, you shall teach them these words that I am commanding. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This right here is to be at the core of the Israelite identity. This was to shape everything about who they were, knowing this truth and then living out this command to share and press this truth on into future generations. Because understand, reflection and discipleship are commanded by God. This is, there's, a, there's a weight behind this. This is what you must do if you are to be my people. That's what God's telling us here in this text. God's people are to reflect personally and privately, which creates worship in people personally, but then they are also to reflect publicly, and that's intentionally discipling others to know what they know so that the worship of God would continue generation after generation after generation. The power of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and these commands here is that it's upon parents and families that the primary discipleship responsibility falls. See, parents in the scriptures are not given the freedom to let faith conversations and the knowledge of who God is and the memory of what God has said and done be contained to just Sunday mornings, to classrooms at a church building, or worship gatherings like this, or the kids' church teachers when they have a few minutes with the kids. Faith conversations like this, the memory of who God is, the the knowledge of what he has said and done and what he commands of us is to be constant in the Christian home. It's always to be at the center of the house, of our travels, of our sleeping and our rising routines. God and his word is ever to be in focus, never far from our minds. All that we are given by God is to be used by us to help our hearts, our eyes, fix firmly upon God, the giver of all good things, so that we can reflect who he is and what he has done to others. And right now, this Advent season that we are entering into, thousands of years after this command was given to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this Advent season gives us, year after year after year, unique opportunities to live out this command and this intention of God for his people if we will just see and seize upon the opportunities that lay before us. The season of Advent, I really believe, is a season of opportunities. That's what we have here. This time of year, every single year, comes around the four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's a season of opportunities for the Christian parent, for the one who wants to follow God, the one who wants to get the most and make the most of this time. You have ample opportunities every single year at this season. See, the reality is pretty much everyone that's going to hear this is going to be doing something for Christmas, right? All of you are. (laughs) Some of you are going to do all the things. Some of you are just going to do some of the things. Some of you are the decorating people, right? You just decorate like 
crazy. Lights everywhere blow up things in the yard, green and, and red and any other bright color that you can find. It's just everywhere, right? You're in the house and all the pictures get swapped out, right? Like nothing looks the same as soon as the Christmas season gets upon you. I mean, all the way down to the soaps in the bathroom, different, right? You've got the, the Christmas soap going out like in our house, literally. I, Walked in the bathroom, like, why is there, were we out of soap? No. Oh, this is Christmas soap. Right, of course. Got to use Christmas soap now, right? So maybe some of you are the decorating people. You know who you are. All the rest of us know who you are, too. We can see it. You've got the decorating people. Then some of you might be tradition people. You just have a lot of specific things that you want to do this time of year, right? You've got the day that you go cut the tree down, right? You've got the, the trip to go see the lights at that certain place or a bunch of different places, whatever that may look like. You might have a day that you set aside to make treats and, and, and take those to the people that you like this time of year. Or maybe you plan every time of year during these weeks, you're going to have some special meals, right? Family and friends are getting together and we're going to have time together. You've got these traditions that you want to live out. We've got the tradition people this time of year. And probably all of us are going to be in this last category too. You're, you're probably going to either be buying or giving at least a gift this season. Right? That's just the, the, the reality of this time of year. No matter how much we try and manage it, we have these conversations in our house like, hey, do you think this year maybe we could convince all, you know, the, our parents that we don't want to do gifts, maybe we just want to like, invest in one you know, experience, whatever. Like, that never works. Like, I don't know why we even have this conversation. You know, like, Paul, Cindy, we're thinking rather than giving the kids things this year, we want to take them on a trip this summer. Would you just maybe put a little... No, they don't do that, <laughs> right? <clears throat> Oh, that's nice. You don't want to give them gifts? Okay, well, we've got plenty. Here they go, you know. Whatever. You've got gifts that you're going to give and receive. Something new is coming into your possession, and probably many things are leaving your possession, and more than just money from the bank account, though that's a given this time of year, too. Look, I get all of that. I'm there with you. All of these things are part of the year, this time of year, for us, too. We have decorations set up in the house, and Malia tells me we're not done. We have more that we're going to be doing. We have traditions that we're going to continue this year and some new ones that we may be starting as well. And yes, we're buying gifts and wrapping gifts. Malia's done with her list. Made me feel off. Well, I mean, I'm done with the list, too, because she's, you know, buying all the things for everyone else. So great, I'm done except for buying her gifts. But uh, we're buying gifts and we're wrapping them. We're even exchanging gifts already. Um, this last week, we, we drove through Kansas City. We literally had seven minutes to see our friends, Isaac and Sarah. We stood outside a little coffee shop, opened up our trunk, got our gifts out, gave them to them, gave them hugs. They gave us their gifts. Eh, Christmas came early to all of us. It was wonderful. But here's the thing that we have to realize as we go into this time of year, and all these different things are going to mark our lives in different ways, right? From decorations to gifts to traditions, the reality is none of those things alone get at the heart of what Advent is offering us in an opportunity to live out the commands of God this time of year. What God's inviting us into this time of year, this Advent season and every other Advent season, is to begin to structure our lives in a way that works to fulfill the command of Deuteronomy chapter 6 for more than just a few hours every week. He gives us a chance to begin to build things into the rhythm of our homes and our lives personally and publicly that would help us grow as disciples and grow others as disciples as we share in this special time of year. Decorations, traditions, and gifts have to be used intentionally in order to actually glorify God. Like, they're, they're in our lives right now, but just being there in your life right now, because that's what this time of year is, isn't enough. You have to take advantage. You have to work intentionally to leverage these things to create spiritual good in your heart.
the passage there in Deuteronomy chapter 6 continues on. It tells us how important the proper use of an opportunity really is to be necessary to obey the command of God that he puts on us. Drop down to verse 20 if you're looking in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is God speaking here when he says, So, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against, is, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So notice that this text assumes what is true of all kids at some point. Like, read, this is true. It's just not there yet because he can't talk. All kids ask that question. Why? <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why are you doing that? Why do we have to do this, right? I feel like my kids, it's a constant question, multiple times a day. Why? 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 <laughs> This is the question that every one of us will be asked. Some of us will be asked this as an adult, right? I mean, some of you need to be asked this. When you go crazy with the decorations, why are you doing that? <laughs> why, why do you have all the lights up, Wendy? Why does your room look like Christmas in October, right? You know, why? <laughs> it's a good question. God tells us, though, to do exactly what we find so very hard to do sometimes and so very frustrating to have to do so many times. God tells us when we're asked the question why, that we need to stop and focus, and give a full answer. An answer that would point our hearts and the hearts and minds of those asking the question, why, towards God. And get this, we have to answer the question of why in order to obey God's word. So let's all get a little bit uncomfortable together, shall we? Because this presses on me just as much as it will press on you. Our hearts, our shortcomings will be exposed. God is telling us that when we are asked the question, why, the answer because that's what we do, is not enough. Or, it's just tradition. Now, give me the thing I asked you to go get me. <laughs> that's not good enough. Or, I don't know why we're doing this. This is what mom said to go do, so we're <laughs> just doing it because she said so. That, those are not good answers. More pointedly, those are not God-glorifying answers. So let's press a little bit further because most of us are in the same boat here. We live lives that are sinfully unintentional in our day-to-day -day living. If we are just doing things that we don't have any real reason for beyond one of those answers, I don't know, we just do it, it's tradition, I don't know, someone told me to. If that's really how we're living our lives, then understand if it's just rote, passivity, unintentionality that marks our days, we are sinfully negligent. And God calls us to far more than that. Far more than just being carried along by the sweeping tide of life. Unintentional and unreflective lives, they're not worshipful lives. And God wants you to be a worshiper, right? This is the, the great chief purpose for which you were created, to worship God and enjoy him forever. But we miss that when we just do because what well, we've always done. To obey the command of Deuteronomy 6, personally, we have to be intentional to reflect and understand the reasons for things. 
and to fulfill the commands of Deuteronomy chapter 6, publicly we have to be intentional to reflect on those things and be able to explain them to others. So coming back to Mary, I haven't forgotten about her. Mary was the product of this type of discipleship. She was raised in this nation that valued passing on knowledge of who God is, what God has said, what God has done, and it actually shaped who Mary is, as we can see in this great prayer that she gives, this song of praise that she exclaims. Let's walk through it again. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Notice the focus of Mary's prayer is squarely upon God, right? Mary, the one who's experiencing the blessing, does not see all of history as pointed towards her. Mary doesn't see everything in life revolving around her and what she's going through. She understands what so many people fail to really grasp in this life. We are made to worship the one beyond us. Everything that we experience is to point us to him and the worship of him. And so that's what she does here. She proclaims, my soul magnifies not myself, not my greatness, magnifies the Lord. She rejoices in God. She's in awe of him looking at her lowly state. She recognizes he's the master. She's nothing more than the servant. Mary sets her focus in thinking about and reflecting upon the great blessings that she's being given as an upward focus towards God. It draws her eyes beyond herself, beyond her life, beyond her circumstances to God and what he is doing. She continues, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. But she gives us the reason why. She understands, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Why is Mary blessed? Why will her name be known? Why will her story be told around the globe for thousands of years? Why will she be honored? The reason is not because of who she is or what she has done, and she knows this. It is for he who is mighty who has done great things. Mary knows that her story is not really her story. She's just a small part of God's grand story that's unfolding. Mary knows that everything she's being given, everything that's happening to her in this amazing moment that we look at and think, wow, how incredible that all must be. Mary has the right humble perspective in the midst of it to say, it's really not about me. It's not about my worth. It's not about my actions. It's not about my morality. It's not about anything special about me. I am just this lowly, humble servant chosen by the mighty one to do a great work in. Mary understands it's all about him, not her. And then she continues. I love this. She says, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Why is Mary recalling all of this? What is Mary recalling when she says all of this? This is where we see Mary's upbringing her being the recipient of people who were shaped by those commands of Deuteronomy chapter 6, really coming out in this beautiful song that's coming out of Mary in this moment she's in. She's understanding her life in the light of what God has already done. Mary's thinking about how God has been active and what he has done far beyond the moment in time in which she lives. She's recalling mercy and saving power, not just in her life, 
the last few years of her experience, she says he's the God who has mercy and saving power at work from generation to generation. Right? When she says he has shown the strength of the strength with his arm, she's echoing the language of Scripture and how Scripture talks of God. Psalm 98, Psalm 89, Psalm 118, as well as Isaiah 51, all of those texts are what's coming out of Mary because she's been taught those things. She has heard how the Bible itself speaks of God's deliverance of his people from Egypt, the slavery that they were in, in that term, using that language of the strength of God's arms. When she says that he is the one who has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, the student of the word would think back to perhaps someone like uh, the people at the Tower of Babel, right? Who were so prideful to think, we will reach heaven, we will exalt ourselves in our name, and God comes down and humbles them by scattering them all over, right? I think what's actually, though, more, most clearly probably in Mary's mind is the, the text of, Deut- of Daniel chapter 4 and the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how he came to realize who God was when God humbled him. She continues that, that very thought by saying, for he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And that's what we find in Daniel chapter 4. We hear the story of how mighty King Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, becoming like a beast in the field for years until God himself had fully sufficiently humbled him. And then, then Nebuchadnezzar echoes these words in his own confession. Mary knows that story and is praising God for what he did in that period of history behind her. He has exalted those of humble estate, she says. So many of the Psalms praise this fact. Job and Ezekiel and many of the other prophets speak of this as a great comforting promise defining the work of God. This is the framework Mary has for believing that God truly could be doing something great in her life, not because she's amazing, because he has done so many amazing things that she has grown up knowing about. She is nobody worthy, but God often uses humble, lowly people to have great effect in his grand story as it unfolds. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty, she says. This is the history of Israel and their story over and over and over again, isn't it? Mary understands the theological reasoning as she says, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. For Mary, in this text, her present situation which is the first season of the very first Advent, is all to be lived in light of reflecting on what God has done. But he is the one who remembers his mercy and his promises and his commitment to redeem and save his people. So Mary overflows with the knowledge of this truth as she reflects on him and his works to bring meaning and to bring purpose to her situation in her life. So if we, we want to bring this forward from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and those principles to Luke chapter 1 and Mary kind of demonstrating what that would look like for someone shaped by those principles to right here in this moment the things we need to hear at the start of this Advent season. First of all, it's this. This Advent season, this Christmas holiday, whatever you prefer to call it, it's not about you. It's not about you. Culture and advertisements want to make it all about you, don't they? You've got to get the best gifts. You've got to have the best experiences this year. You've got to make the best treats or meals. If you don't do this or have that, then you're missing out. And come on, you're worth it. You're worth it. Charge it on the card. It's going to be fine. You need this. But hear me, God's telling us clearly as we enter into the Advent season, as his people, it's not about you. 
Mary understood it herself, right? Even the the amazing role she was called to play wasn't really about her, was it? The whole song of praise is about God and what he's done. And this is incredibly freeing good news when we understand it. Second, I think we need to hear this morning, the Advent season is not about doing as much as it is about reflecting. Take a breath this December. Relax. It's okay if everything's not perfect. In fact, let me, let me just get it out there. It won't be perfect. <laughs> no matter how hard you try. You don't have to do all the must-do things. You don't have to see all the must-see sites. You don't have to get all the must-have items this year. What matters far more than any of those things for God's people is that we would reflect on the true meaning of the season this year. That you would take time and space and let some other things go by and not happen and not get done and it will be okay. Take the time to intentionally recall. Or maybe take the time this year to really, for the first time ever, learn this grand story of God that the Advent season is all about. See, what we are called as God's people to reflect upon is not just how Jesus was born, how he came into this world, but we're to press into answering the question of why. Why did he come? How do the thousands of years of history before Christ all point to him? What do the hundreds of prophecies that the life and death of Jesus fulfilled, what do they mean? The story of Jesus' life after his birth should be a part of the Advent season for us as well. It should go all the way to the cross, all the way to the accomplishment of the substitutionary atonement that brings true, final, secure salvation for God's people who know him and trust him to save them. This is the season of opportunity to reflect deeply upon all of that. And we need to. We need to. This is what the season is giving us because it's what our souls need. If our Christmas holidays just always terminate on the little baby Jesus born in the manger and you never get to the reality of the grown Jesus hanging on a cross, dying for his people, then my friends, you're missing this opportunity the season is giving you. The gospel must come into focus for us this time of year, but each and every day as Christians. Advent gives us an opportunity then to do this well. To understand that Jesus came to bring salvation. He came to save all of those who would trust in him. Don't wait until Easter weekend to get to the part where Jesus dies on the cross and walks out of the empty tomb. (laughs) As we reflect back, reflect on the whole story, the whole purpose of what it is he came to do. And if you're not a Christian, this is the perfect time. This Advent season is the perfect time to receive the gift of a new life, a changed heart, true purpose and fulfillment. If you are a Christian, then perhaps this is the season you need to find all those things again. Maybe this is the season to lay down bitterness and anger and the sins that so easily entangle us and distract us. As we think in the Advent season about the story of Jesus, we see our God coming to us in the most humble of ways. We see the story of his birth and his life and his death, and we see that God is offering us. God desires for us far more than so many people settle for today. This is the season to repent. This is the season to rejoice. This is the season to find hope and love and peace. That's what we have offered to us in this great Advent season. The one who we will focus upon rightly being born in a manger 
also died on a cross and walked out of a now empty tomb. His story, the story of the Advent season is with a story of salvation and freedom from sin. And he's calling us to know him and to live in light of all his actions and all his accomplishments today. So third, the third thing we need to hear as we enter into the Advent season this year is that the Advent season is an opportunity that requires intentionality. My encouragement to you and my prayer over you is that you would be taking advantage of these opportunities that you will have this coming season. There's lights to see, there's decorations to admire, there's gifts to exchange, there's meals to savor and enjoy, and so many wonderful Christmas carols that sing of incredibly beautiful and deep realities about the incarnation of the Son of God. And you can leverage all of those things to lead you to reflection and then meaningful, intentional conversations with those around you. Kids, if you have them, or family and friends, if you don't have kids in the home. You can leverage these opportunities if you're intentional, or you can just get swept up in the rush and miss these moments altogether. And so many of us do that. So many of us have done that for so long. Just having the season of Advent marked out on your calendar isn't enough. Just coming to these services for the next four weeks won't be enough. If you're not intentional with this time, day by day throughout this season, you will not glorify God properly during this season. No matter how many meals, gifts, traditions, or if your decorations can be seen from a satellite in space, none of it will matter if you don't understand and explain the why of this season to others. So as a pastor who's trying to live this out with my own family and then with you as the church family, I, I want to always try to give you tools and resources to help you be intentional with your time and help you live out these things well. So as we've done for the last several years, we have a, a family Advent devotional guide that's available to you. Each year, I, I try to make one available that's simple and short, a, a guide that you can pick up. And for those of you who don't have any rhythm of family worship or family devotional time, if, if you call it that, if that's not part of what the rhythm of your household is, I'm trying to give you a tool to start into that trajectory easily right now. So the guide's simple. It's, just a, it's a weekly guide. One time a week, you need to read a simple devotional passage. You need to read the scripture references listed on the page. There's a focus on how to pray with those in your household with you at that time. And then a couple suggestions of good songs to sing. Songs you know because you know songs and they're Christmas songs, right? And then on the back of the page, if you have kids in the home, if they're younger, there's an activity and there's an explanation of how can we do this activity and then connect it to the deeper meaning of the season, Right? So it's just kind of building you up and leading you where one time a week, if you can do this, you can begin to develop a rhythm, begin to develop something that fulfills these expectations of Deuteronomy chapter 6. So we printed a few copies of these, put them out at the Resource Center this morning. If you get out there and they're all gone already and you want me to print you one, just call let me know. I'll be happy to print you one. If you're more digitally inclined or you've already lost the one that you picked up and, you know, don't know where that went, uh, you can go get it online in digital form. There's a PDF download of it on our website, nelsonvilleag.org slash advent under our resources tab if you want to go that way. The season of Advent gives us great opportunities to reflect upon God and to begin to learn how to explain the meaning of these things around us. So leverage your plans to do this. Leverage something like an Advent devotional. Use the simple weekly one if that's the best place for you to start. Go, go order one. Buy one. Come talk to me or Malia. Every year, one of our traditions is to buy a new 25-day Advent devotion book that we go through with the kids. Every night is Advent. We have Advent worship in our home, and we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and the kids kind of know what to expect. And there's great books. We'd love to recommend some to you. And if you're a decoration person, 
then learn how so many of our Christmas decorations can actually be used to point to Christ. I mean, if you have all those little LED bulbs everywhere, you realize you can use those to talk about who Jesus is, right? As we heard earlier, he's called the light. <laughs> so as your house glows in the middle of the night, you know, and the satellites pick out where you are, you can use that as an illustration to teach others about who Jesus is. If you're a traditions person, reflect on your traditions. Why are you doing what you're doing? How can your traditions help you understand, help others understand that you're part of something much bigger than just the right now? How can your traditions be used to explain that we're part of a story that's really not centered on us, but ultimately upon God himself? If you can't answer that question for your tradition, seriously consider whether you should have that tradition or not. You can build meaningful traditions into your family's life that really help you explain the, se- the meaning of this season. So don't settle for lesser ones. Don't settle for, well, we just do it because we've always done it. Find out the reason. Find out ways to leverage your traditions. And as you give and receive gifts this year, take time to think through those things. Are you doing that in a way that would draw your own heart towards gratitude and thankfulness and love for others? Are you giving out of a love for others, overflowing from the fact that you've experienced the love of God yourself? Or is it just an obligation? I mean, we, we had one year, I remember us talking about what we were going to do for the Christmas gifts, and the idea was, well, why don't we just exchange gift cards? You know, that way everybody can kind of get what they want. Like, well, how silly is this? <laughs> Here's my $40 I'm going to give to you, and you give me $40. And, you know, like, well, there's no point to this. Give a gift that's meaningful. Give a gift that you can use to help point someone to Jesus. It doesn't have to be a Bible. It doesn't have to be a devotional book. But, but something that you can use to communicate, I actually genuinely care about you. I love you. Why, Bill? Because God's loved me. He's been generous to me. I want to be generous to you, right? Use gift giving to point to Jesus. This really can be, I believe, a helpful holiday to our souls and to our spiritual lives. It can be a time where we just spend too much money. We just eat too much food. We just have too much stress and pressure. And by the end of it, we just want a vacation to recover. Or this can be a helpful season of the year for each and every one of us. And I'm praying and I'm asking God to do that. That's been my prayer in my heart this year for my family, that he would help us learn to reflect and to worship and to grow spiritually and to find rest. And we're going to do the decorations. We have our traditions. We're going to enjoy treats, give gifts. But I want us to experience something much greater in my household. And I want you to experience something much greater too as part of the household of God this year. So would you join me in praying for God to help each and every one of us pursue intentionally times of reflection this year that would be meaningful. And then we're going to sing together one of the great Christmas hymns that I'm I'm hoping as you're putting together your holiday playlist or pulling out the old holiday playlist, however you do that, that these type of songs would be in there just as much as those cultural Christmas songs. And they're fun. You can do them, right? Sing Jingle Bell Rock and all that great stuff. But sing some of these great songs as we will do today to respond as we ask God to help us be intentional and find this to be a helpful holiday as we enter into the Advent season in 2021 today. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you give us clear commands in the scripture, such as in Deuteronomy 6 about how we are to structure our lives and what we are to be doing with our days, day in and, and day out. Lord, you haven't left us to figure this out on our own. And then, Lord, we're, we're incredibly grateful that we have examples in scripture of people who have who've been impacted in such a way and lived in such a way that, that we can look to them and see a model for our own lives, a model for how we would engage even this time of year that we enter into. 
Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that it's another Advent season. I'm thankful that, that here, once again, the, the themes of hope and joy and love and peace, they're going to ring out around us, Lord. I'm thankful that, that so many of the songs that we'll hear on the radio are pointing to something greater, a longing for something more than just the moment. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us be intentional. Help us to really worship you in this Advent season. Help us to grow spiritually through this time of year, this year. And, and above all of it, Lord, I, I pray for our church, for, for these friends, for these loved ones that are here today, part of this body. I, I just pray you'd give us rest. So many of us need that right now, Lord. We need the rest that only you can provide, the rest that only comes from knowing you're God, you're in control, you've got this. We can take a breath and trust you. Would you help us see that through the Advent season, through the Advent story? Help us to grow in our faith and our love for you. We thank you for this great time of the year, for this opportunity to worship together today. And we just ask God that you'd help us make the most of it. It's in your beautiful, powerful name. We pray, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, would you stand this morning and let's sing together one of these great Christmas songs.